Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, or your cattle or your immigrant who stays with you. This commandment, which joins the needs of the vulnerable, of the immigrant and the lowly creatures in your care with the needs of your sons and daughters, captures the truth of the Sabbath's purpose, to supplant the empty work we do each day in the service of greed with the substantive work of hearing and doing the teaching of Scripture. It is no coincidence that encoded within this instruction we find the very thing that saves us. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 292 of the Bible as Literature podcast. The work that men do for their own gain is burdensome, but the work of studying Torah and submitting to its commandment is not burdensome. What distinguishes these two types of work is the outcome. When you slave for your own gain, like Jacob slaving under Laban, you are toiling for something that ultimately goes nowhere. But when you make the effort to take a break from that work in order to focus on the real work, which is hearing God's commandment so that you can carry it out, you are making an investment in something that pertains not to death, but to life, something that bears fruit beyond the scope of your very short life here on this earth. And so this whole discussion about working on the Sabbath is actually a big deal. And it's sad in our contemporary life here in the United States that we've disregarded this allocation of time for the study of our sacred text in favor of commercialism. So yeah, it's great now that you can do whatever you want any day of the week, but it's also created a kind of social fatigue and a social breakdown because we're not stopping to do a different kind of work that bears a different kind of return for the common good. The kind of work that is holy, it's not about simply not doing work. It's about not doing work so that you keep the Sabbath holy. What does it mean to keep it holy? It means that God's will is the only will that's done. That's what makes it holy. Doing the teaching that was set out in Torah is really what's essential. That teaching is written out in scripture, and that's why when the Pharisees are saying, hey, they're not supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath, they're not supposed to be picking the grain and that sort of thing, Jesus responds, did you not read? Because 
if they're speaking and it's not based on the biblical text, it's doing their own will. So in fact, they are the ones profaning the Sabbath because they're profaning it with their own idolatrous teaching. What sanctifies the Sabbath is Torah. Regarding what you were saying, Father, Hosea makes a joke about Jacob slash Israel and their self-imposed slavery because he made himself a slave for a woman. So the joke is that rather than remain the servant the slave of God, he turned himself into the slave of a woman. You know, it's like when I talk to a teenager and I say, you know, you need to get off social media. And they say, why are you trying to control my actions? And I said, because social media already controls your actions. And I'm trying to change the master of your actions from someone who wants to make a buck off you to someone who cares for you in your future. We enslave ourselves, but our tendency is always, always to enslave ourselves to the ideas of our own mind and to idols. On the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. Now, for someone who doesn't understand the nuance of how Scripture is handling the concept of work, this seems unjust because the rule says you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. But once you understand that you are resting from Jacob's work in order to do the work of Isaac, which is to rest and to depend on your father who provides instruction and who provides your spouse and who provides your life. Once you rest in that sense, then this makes sense because that kind of rest commands you to take the consecrated bread and distribute it to those who are hungry. This is the tension that is so difficult for the religiously minded, because they want to know, is this bread holy? What is the purpose of this bread? Okay, we understand what this bread is for. Let's check that box off. Are we supposed to work today or are we not supposed to work today? Okay, not supposed to work. Let's check that box off. But it's more subtle than that. There is always work to be done. And in the literal sense in which people diminish these texts, there is no day of rest. Because the day of the Lord is the day that you gather to make the effort to hear his commandment and to break bread with your neighbor and to submit to one another, which is a kind of work. And then from that effort, which is rest in the spirit of Isaac in Genesis, comes a new effort each day of the week to do not the work of commercialism and consumerism in an American context, but the work of the gospel, which is for the sake of the common good. So if you, quote, break the Sabbath in order to do the work of the Sabbath in verse 5, you are innocent because your reference is not your interpretation of what work is. Your reference is the commandment which puts the needs of others before your own purity, your own righteousness, and your own material needs. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. It's interesting, right away in verse 9, Richard, it doesn't say the synagogue, but specifically their synagogue, synagoguin afton, meaning that the synagogue can't claim Jesus. And when you think about this being addressed to a Christian community, 
Matthew is a kind of genesis of the New Testament, meaning it pulls everything together, which means the addressee of this story is clearly the Gentile church, which means that when we talk about a synagogue or we talk about the temple, we have to hear it as a critique of the Christian Gentile church. Jesus is, in a way, separating himself from that institution. It reminds me of a pastor in Kiev I knew, a Baptist pastor, and if somebody wanted to join the church, one of the things they would always do is pay a visit to their house because they want to see what order they kept in their house. You know, people can talk a certain way, but you kind of have to go in their house to see if they're actually living the life that they're claiming to live. And you can tell just by looking at the house. The first thing I noticed when I read this verse is that Jesus left you know, because that's what he's been doing every time. He does not waste time in a single spot. He keeps moving so that he can continue to preach the kingdom. But secondly, like you said, Father, their synagogue, he's going to go and see how do they conduct themselves in their synagogue? What's the fruit of their teaching? Yes, they're going around telling everybody what they're supposed to do. What about their people? How do they act? What do they do? So it's time for him to go and pay a visit to see, are they even following what they believe they should be following. And a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? So they're going to trap him with a question. They think it's black and white what it means to work and what it means to rest, because they don't understand the work of the kingdom. They themselves don't rest. Because if it simply means doing nothing, you may be engaged in a kind of self-serving toil. It's not about resting like, hey, I need a day off. Again, the rest of the Sabbath is the work of God's instruction. And because they miss this, they are excited about the possibility of being able to trap Jesus. But to heal somebody, it does seem funny that this is the example that they bring up. It's also interesting that when Jesus goes to visit their synagogue, this is the one thing that they bring to him. What are we supposed to do about this person? This is the problem with legalism, because people think that the Old Testament is about legalism and it's about the law and the New Testament is about grace and it's about mercy, which is just a completely false dichotomy. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, in Scripture, according to what Matthew would be saying, taking care of others is the most obvious thing. There's three things that God is looking for in the world in Hosea 4.1, which is loving kindness, faithfulness, and knowledge of God. So these people obviously do not have loving kindness. They obviously don't have knowledge of God because they don't read. So therefore, they can have no faith in God. Jesus is here to make sure that they are following the law and making sure that there is loving kindness in their synagogue. If there is no loving kindness in their catalog, they are not keeping the Sabbath holy. They can't be. They don't even know what the Sabbath is. There's no knowledge of God. They come together. They're supposed to have mercy if they're following what the Old Testament is telling them. Jesus can tell from their actions, from the fruit of the teaching, that they aren't following Torah, that they don't themselves keep the Sabbath holy because they don't know what it says. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? There's a couple of things happening here. 
The first, of course, is their hypocrisy, because though they claim that you should not do work on the Sabbath, when it really gets down to brass tacks, if their welfare is on the line, if it impacts their economic well-being, they will do what needs to be done to take care of themselves. So just on that level, verse 11 exposes the hypocrisy of questioning the legality of helping a human being whose hand is withered. And by the way, the withered hand is once again metaphoric, because if you do not hear God's instruction, because those responsible to teach aren't caring for you, you are unable to bear fruit. Your hand is unproductive. It's a very important metaphor. But there's a second dimension to verse 11, Rich, specifically that in the Old Testament, as you said, which is a very merciful narrative, a very unlegalistic narrative, despite how people try to characterize it to justify themselves, there is a repeated emphasis as you go from text to text on the importance of caring for the entire household, not just the human beings in the household, but also the lowly animals. There's always an accounting that takes place in biblical texts that includes the animals that are in the community where you reside. And so implicit in verse 11 is this idea that the work of the Sabbath is to care both for animals and for human beings. It's presumed in verse 11, which I find very interesting. In rabbinic thought, there's a way of arguing in which you establish the premise in the small idea, and then you extend that to the larger idea. And this is what Jesus is engaging in. So he's saying, okay, if in this little case, the case of a sheep, you perform a certain action, what about in the more important case, the bigger case of the human being who finds themselves in a similar situation? When you have a sheep who's in trouble, you don't go and look it up or reread or try to reason with your friends or whatever. You already know what needs to happen. You go and you pull them out of the pit. You know that's what you have to do. That kind of reasoning is the kind of reasoning that's written on our heart, so to speak. But as you say, Father, it's something that benefits the family. It's one of the people inside. It's natural for any one of them to take care of their household. But the others in the synagogue, they don't treat like one in their household. So a sheep is part of your household, but the man with a withered hand is not part of the household. That's what Jesus is showing. There is no possibility for the kingdom to take root in this place unless they see all the humans in at least the synagogue, if not beyond the synagogue, more importantly, but even within the synagogue, they don't see each other as members of the same household. There's no hope for the kingdom to take root. And that's what Jesus is all about. He wants to establish the kingdom. It's actually worse because you are dishonoring the sheep when you exploit it, because you are not caring for the sheep because the Torah demands that you take care of the least of your household. You are caring for the sheep in order to exploit it. And remember, that the shepherd sheep metaphor is a dominant paradigm in scripture. The shepherd is responsible to care for the flock. So you exploit the literal sheep in Matthew, even as you disregard 
your metaphoric sheep, which is the needy person in the synagogue whom you were assigned to care for as a teacher. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You have a duty. There is a priority that is functional for you. And that priority is the commandment of God to take care of everyone in his household, not yours. You have to care for the disciple with a withered hand and feed him God's instruction so that he can be healed and so that his hands can be made useful for the common good. And you have to care for the sheep, not because you can profit from it, but because it is a creature created by God that is part of the community that exists within the setting for life in Genesis. And you are measured by how you treat the weakest among you in the community. And that includes the lowly animals. I just realized how funny this word lawful is because they stopped using the word righteous, you know, declared righteous. Will God declare this righteous? That's not the language they're using here. It's about being lawful as if it's something in and of itself lawful, which it can't be. That's why Jesus got mad and said, have you not read? Here he's using their language against them. If a man is better than a sheep, then the law would say you should do this. Now, it's also righteous according to Torah, but he sticks with the same language that these Pharisees are using. He makes the extension that I mentioned before of moving from sheep to human beings. It is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Jesus says that it is important to do the right thing on the Sabbath. And the right thing is not according to your God, it's according to Torah. But that's the funny thing. It's like, well, here's something I know is good, but I don't know if it's allowed. It's a really strange way of thinking, but we think it all the time. Here's a person who needs something. I don't know if I should give it to them. Here is someone who needs somebody to pay attention, but I don't know if it's really okay. In this neighborhood, is it really okay to speak kindly to people? Maybe I should just ignore them because that's what's expected. We come up with all kinds of machinations in order not to do the right thing. And the reason we can is because we don't see the real results. We don't see how Torah is speaking truth in a natural way, which is when you commit evil, you pollute the world around you in a way. Torah doesn't say this specifically, but this is how it functions, that you pollute the community by your evil. You pollute the teaching with your teaching. You pollute God by your idols. You keep the Sabbath holy by sticking with this teaching. But you have to know the teaching, you have to study the teaching, and make sure that is what's going on. Because just as much as your evil and your lack of faith will pollute the community, your carrying out Torah and your teaching Torah will sanctify the community. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring out. This community is not holy just because it thinks it's doing something that is lawful, and it's talking about how to do lawful things. But the kingdom can't manifest itself there until the Torah is manifested among their actions. In the Gospel of Matthew, with respect to verse 12, if this is your second hearing or your third hearing of the Gospel of Matthew, you know that later on, when Jesus lambasts the scribes and the Pharisees, he warns them that they are responsible and have failed 
at submitting to the weightier matters of the law, which is mercy and justice, in this case, taking care of the man with a withered hand. But he is quick to point out that you can't neglect those technicalities either. Obviously, in the case of the sheep, it's a living creature that is dependent on the household for life. So it's not so small a matter. But at the same time, if you'd say, hey, let's just take care of the man with the withered hand, you run the risk of becoming self-righteous in a different way. So in Matthew, when you consider the broader context of the narrative, and you remember the Sermon on the Mount, where you have to be perfect, the gospel is doing what the Torah does. To emphasize your point, Richard, about the continuity between the two texts, it is putting pressure on you that you have to do it all, and you're going to fail when you try to do it all so that you can be kept in your place and never take credit and only give the glory to your Father in the heavens. It was really helpful, Father, the way that you brought up the self-righteousness that comes from the person who does the right thing but is not using Scripture as their reference because it leads to self-righteousness. Jesus knew this would happen. He said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you perform righteous acts, your left hand can't know what your right hand is doing. You aren't even allowed to know that you're doing it. You simply must obey. Obedience is even more important than the correct action because the correct action on your own is going to be corrupt. Correct action based on obedience to Torah will produce good fruit. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. When I hear verse 13, Richard, I can't help but think of Exodus chapter 14, when the Lord commanded Moses to raise his staff and stretch out his hand over the sea to divide the water. It's for me a clear connection because what made Moses functional was the command of the Lord. Moses couldn't even speak clearly. It was the Lord's word that was at work through Moses. Moses himself was powerless. The instruction made him powerful for the sake of God's people. And that's what's at stake here with the man with the withered hand. If you don't energize him in the Pauline sense with God's instruction, his hand will be useless. But if you give him the commandment, as Jesus does in verse 13, and as the Lord did in Exodus chapter 14, suddenly his hand becomes useful. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. So now he has two hands with which to do the work of the law. And as you said, he can't allow the left to know what the right is doing. When you do a righteous act and then you remember for example, as an Eastern Orthodox, that you didn't abstain from meat on Wednesday as you should have, according to the regulation, then you can't feel good about having done the righteous thing because you know you broke the other law. That's the idea here in Scripture. People get caught up in these small things, trying to argue around the lesser matters and that sort of thing, and then they miss this healing. Now, this is what's funny is that up to this point, we keep getting these crowds who would gawk when there would be some kind of healing, and then they would miss the teaching. And here, they heard the teaching, who knows if they actually heard it, but they heard the words being spoken of the teaching. And then they saw the healing, but there's no reaction from the people this time. They're not amazed. This is the sad thing. 
that when he is healing, in spite of what they're saying, oh, should we help him, should we not? And then Jesus goes and he heals him completely. They're not impressed. They don't say anything. Neither are they impressed by the teaching that he taught them, which corrected them so that they would be focused on the weightier matters and not on the lesser matters. It is appropriate to be amazed at Jesus's healing, but one must be extremely careful because when they're amazed, they just think about the healing and how it can help them or how can it profit them? How can it profit those close to them? Whereas really the amazement comes from the fact that here is someone who adheres so closely to Torah that he submits in every action and God is able to do whatever he wants through this obedience. The human beings who refuse to do Torah are the ones who are the problem. Hosea says that you are like stones in the furrow of the field. When God wants to go and plow his field, he has to remove all the stones from the field so he can actually plow it. And you guys are the, are the ones he's going to have to get out of the way. The work of the Sabbath here in the Gospel of Matthew is the most critical work that has ever been ignored by our communities. And there has been a transition that's taken place in the United States probably beginning as early as the 70s, where profit became the main goal of our private institutions instead of the welfare of the community, instead of the common good. We have been fooled into thinking, having stores open all the time, that every day is the same. We've been fooled into believing that that is a kind of freedom, but it's slavery. We're fools. We are all fools. We are fools to believe that we benefit from everything being open on Friday if you're Muslim, on Saturday if you're Jewish, or on Sunday if you're a Christian. We are fools. Because that time out taken to do the work of the sacred text, which is to study, to learn, to grow, to better ourselves, to learn the correct behaviors for the sake of others— to build community, to recognize that there's something more to life than profit. The fact that we've disregarded that and we've accepted the lie that serving our masters, serving Laban all the time is really the best possible use of our time, it's a kind of slavery that is going to be very difficult for the next generation to escape. But it begins, for those of us who submit to this tradition, it begins by taking very seriously the teaching of the Sabbath handed down to us by the Son of Man in the Gospel of Matthew, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.